Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Formula One on One podcast. My name is Justin, and along with Sashwa, my co host, we are going to be taking you guys through the 2022 Pirelli Grand Premio d'Italia. And I think that's basically just a fancy way of saying the 2022 Pirelli Italian Grand Prix for those who speak the spaghetti language. I don't know if that's offensive or not. If it is, you can edit it out. But if it's not, that I guess we're, we're going to have to run that one by Lena before we post it. But it's okay. Jesus. Um, <laughs> what a way to please start. Follow, <laughs> please follow us on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram at F1on1pod. And rate us five stars on whatever listening platform you're listening to us on Sashwat, how's your second week of the semester tweet treat treating you wow i can't speak today honestly justin it is going pretty well can't lie about it um very swimmingly yeah i would say swimmingly just you know i'm kind of already starting to get into that falling behind in school vibe so i'm trying to counteract that i told myself i was going to be productive over the labor day weekend and i just simply was not so unfortunate but you know i have a good chunk of time tomorrow friday saturday and sunday around the race and around all the things that are going on in life to uh to catch up so i will be forcing myself to be productive in those days so that uh i do not have this feeling next week oh well hey you know as long as you as long as you get it done eventually then it doesn't really count that's kind of the i guess i guess that's like the step major way of thinking (laughs) i have a I was telling you earlier, I have a quiz tomorrow for like arguably what Mm -hmm. is the hardest class in my major. So, you know, once I'm through that, then only a few more quizzes, a few more tests in that class and the rest of my degree is basically free. So super, super nice to hear. Yay. Um, Moving on to standings, WDC standings. Um, Verstappen, like, come on, man, 310 points. He is over 100 points clear of P2, which is Leclerc and Checo tied at 201. George Russell's sitting pretty at 188 and P4. Carlos Sainz trails him by 13 with 175. So we don't see Hamilton in the top five yet, but I feel like we might see him relatively soon. In the WCC, Red Bull is also just way ahead, 511 to Ferrari's 376. Mercedes is sitting 30 points behind them with 346. Alpine leads McLaren 125 to 101 for the P4, P5 fight. Alfa Romeo's in P6 with 51. Haas in P7 with 34. AlphaTauri catching up in P8 at 29 points. Aston Martin right behind them in P9 with 25 points. And Williams in P10 with 4 points. So lots of points to be made at this final leg of the triple header. So hopefully we see some shuffling in the standings. I know I would be excited to see it. I know uh, personally right now my big rooting for, like surprisingly, this is like very weird since everyone who listens regularly knows how much I love Red Bull, but I am really rooting for Mercedes to pass Ferrari here, mostly because I like watching like late season collapses, like McLaren last year in the second half of the season, just losing it to Ferrari. And now Ferrari are going to lose it to Mercedes maybe. Um, But yeah, I really think it's, it's going to come down to, you know, these key races where one team is just going to have to have to be better than the other team. But with that all being said and done, Sash, you can just hop straight into your circuit analysis of Monza. I mean, it's a classic track. Mm-hmm. Lots of fast corners, very high speed. I mean, isn't it called like the Temple of Speed or something? That is exactly what it is called, Justin. And on that note, we shall jump into circuit analysis. Obviously, this weekend here at Monza, we have 53 laps around a 5.793 kilometer or 3.6 mile circuit. 
We've raced here just in every year since Formula 1 officially began in the year 1950, except for the year 1980, where, for some reason, the Italian Grand Prix was held at Imola. The October in 1980, Mo- the Phillies won the World Series. Okay, continue. If the Phillies... So I guess the Phillies aren't winning the World Series this year, then. Yeah, probably not. Although, technically, there was, a race, okay. at, there was a race at Imola this year, so maybe, maybe there will be a Phillies win. Anyway, it's also notable at Imola in the last four years, we've had four different winners and five different winners in the last six years. So in 2016, Nico Rosberg won. 2017 and 2018, Lewis Hamilton won. Excuse me. 2019, we had the iconic. uh, He won in Spa. He wins in Monza. Charles Leclerc wins the 2019 Italian Grand Prix. In 2020, during the pandemic-affected season, Pierre Gasly and his AlphaTauri won the Italian Grand Prix. And last year, F1 on one's... I guess most hated Daniel Ricardo uh, somehow won the Italian Grand Prix after a double DNF from championship protagonists Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen, as well as a uh, engine penalty setback for Valtteri Bottas. But another thing to note, just kind of like on this trend, is that in the last two years we've had this kind of Monza win curse, where in 2019 Charles Leclerc won, he DNF'd in 2020, um, 2020 Pierre Gasly won, he DNF'd in 2021. 2021, last year, Ricardo won. Uh, will he DNF? That is one of our prediction questions, you know, coming later in our prediction section, but we can discuss it then. You know, we're located here in northern Italy, Justin, and I know you've been watching F1, I guess, longer than I have, so perhaps, like, your opinion on this may be a little more nuanced, and I've obviously gone back and watched races here, but do you have any preferences in terms of watching a race at Monza versus Imola versus Mugello? Yeah, I... I definitely prefer watching the Monza races. I think Imola is like a great track because obviously, you know, it has lots of history in F1. And we do talk pretty often about how historical tracks are important for, I guess, the culture of the sport, at least. Mm. But I mean, Monza is super historical as well. And I feel like we get the best races here. I mean, like you said, Ricardo won last year. Who would have predicted that? Mm -hmm. Um, Before that, we had a great race with Pierre Gasly getting his first and so far only win. And I feel like we just always have kind of crazy things happening at Monza. I mean, Mm -hmm. things are bound to go, I don't want to say wrong, but things are bound to get a little bit crazy when cars are like constantly in eighth gear and then they're going down Mm -hmm. to second for like the the right-hander and the left-hander turns one and two. And then, you know, we have a few of those little chicanes in sector one. And it's just... It's just a great track for overtaking, and with mm-hmm. how fast it is and how wide it is, I feel like it really suits the modern F1 cars better than most tracks because, I mean, normally you have issues with overtaking because of how wide cars are or cars aren't going fast enough to actually get past each other. But with Monza, like, there's so much room for these cars to run at the fastest speed that they run at, and it just it just gives the opportunity for great racing, I think. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, I think Monza definitely is probably my favorite of the three I guess Italy races we've had in the handful of last years. Obviously, Mugello, we've only raced there once during the 2020 pandemic affected season for the Tuscan Grand Prix. I think, Justin, like you said, Monza just is so classic and historic, but also provides good racing. So I think it's just a great combination of everything an F1 fan would want. And, you know, kind of another good transition is into our DRS zones. We have two DRS zones, one on down the main pit straight, and then the second one down the Curva Seraglio. So that's kind of like out of the second Lesmo. So I guess what turn, I think eight, no, five, six into seven. So from seven to turn eight. Um, so out of Lesmo two into the Ascari chicane, it's like a, sh- it's not short. It's like a fairly long DRS zone. You see some overtakes into the opening of the Ascari chicane. I think that can be an interesting spot. 
you know, again, then going into our overtaking spots, obviously both DRS zones provide great opportunity for people to overtake. We also have the Redafilo chicane, which is our first chicane down after the pit straight, which is that like right-hander, left-hander, Justin, that you mentioned. We also have the Della Raggia chicane, which is turns four and five right out of Curva Grande. It's another overtaking spot we've seen in the last few years make things work if you have a good enough tire difference. And then obviously the exit down from Ascari down that back straight going into the Parabolica corner. Um, it's very famous. You know, you see a lot of Ferrari fans sitting in that back straight grandstand. So hopefully some Ferrari things to cheer for. I mean, I don't want to be too optimistic given some results of the last few weeks and some shenanigans, but you know, you never know. Justin, somewhere between 70 and 75, sometimes 80% of throttle is, or 80% of the lap, I should say, is taken at full throttle here at Monza, which is, I think, kind of absurd. Like, I don't know if there are any tracks where that number is higher. We do have some of the highest speeds on the calendar reached here as a result of this track requiring the lowest levels of downforce for any teams. You know, you can get as high as 340 kilometers per hour, which is 210 miles per hour going into that first turn down the main pit straight. And then you break at 120 meters all the way down to 86 kilometers or 53 miles per hour. Um, that is an extremely significant, like, slow down and stop. And I, I don't know, like, how many Gs that's putting on a driver's body to, like, push them back and, like, they have to stay upright in their seat. But... I think it's pretty cool that, you know, we have these kind of high speeds, but also these extremely technical corners. So it makes those chicanes count all the more. But also, if you're not running the proper setup for downforce in the straights, you're going to lose a whole lot of time around the circuit. We will be at Monster Justin through the 2025 season. I don't see a reason why that wouldn't continue past 2025. I think most people enjoy this track. I think, you know, Pirelli or whoever continues to be the sponsor of it and whoever continues to pay for it will continue to pay for it. I think it's a fairly profitable event. Like, I don't know. I, I think it's just one of those like classic historic races that'll always be on the calendar. And I know we said that about Spa, but like it definitely strikes me as kind of that like Silverstone or Monaco level of track where like no matter what, it'll always be on the calendar. Um, Getting into safety, Justin, I was doing some reading about Monza and I was like, oh, I can't really remember any like major incidents at Monza, obviously for a different Italian race, the 1994 San Marino Grand Prix, as it was called then, where um, Roland Ratzenberger and Ayrton Senna both passed away in that Grand Prix weekend. You know, it's kind of the stick out and if it comes to dangerous Italian races, but I was reading, Justin, apparently 52 drivers and 35 spectators have died as a result of incidents at Monza. Um, which is like significantly higher than I was expecting. Um, you know, yeah, I, I mean like any, any number higher than like zero. five or six is, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, you know how F1 was back in the fifties. Yes. They didn't yeah. really care what was going on in terms of safety. Like mm -hmm. I, I'm not surprised when I see a, cause I think it used to be like one driver died per season in like the sixties or something. It was like crazy because mm -hmm. I feel like that was something they talked about in rush when they had Nikki Lauda do his like voiceover mm. and he was talking about safety. So it wasn't all that uncommon, but how did it get that high? Do you know? Was there like so, a massive incident one day? No, there were just, I, like you said, so there were a lot of like early in like the 50s, 60s, 70s when safety wasn't cool and like it was lame to make the cars go slower or to have proper safety features. You know, I guess thankfully, Justin, the last time we had an incident at Monza was 22 years ago in September of 2000, where um, actually, unfortunately, a fire marshal, he passed away. His name is Paolo Gislamberti, if I'm pronouncing that right. And he was struck by a flying wheel that had been dislodged during an accident Oof. on lap one. Um, I can only imagine how fast that wheel was going and the kind of impact that that would have been. Um, I would hope it was at least a painless death then, because that's <sighs> brutal, dude. 
yeah, I have I have no idea. I didn't really. Uh, I guess I was a little. I, I just didn't want to read into the specifics of it. I guess perhaps to save my own um, mental sanity. But you know, drivers also complain, Justin, about the Delarage chicane, which is that second chicane right out of sector. It's like right at the start of sector two, just before the two Lesmos, and a lot of drivers complain about the lack of runoff there. Um, you know, coming down, I believe it is in the Ascari corner. Um, Sebastian Vettel in 2019 went into the gravel. He tried to rejoin the track. He couldn't really see around because of like the Hans device or the hands, like the head and neck safety device in the car. He couldn't really see properly. Um, he couldn't turn his head because you're not supposed to be able to turn your head in an F1 car. Um, he came out into the path of Stroll, who then came out into the path of Gasly, and it was just a huge, massive mess on track. Um, I don't know if that's maybe perhaps like a track layout thing or just because like the hands device is so like good at its job that it prevented other drivers from doing like things that maybe we could have done in normal cars. Um, But otherwise, like it is what it is. Um, I left this note in from last week's notes doc when it comes to atmosphere and crowd setting. (sighs) I don't know if we're going to see a similar thing here, but the Ferrari crowd, Justin, always show up to Monza. That grandstand is probably going to be just as red as, you know, the Zandvoort grandstands were for Max when they were in orange. I think it's going to be a great atmosphere. The Italian races are always great. Hopefully, Red Bull doesn't run away with this and break the hearts of hundreds of thousands of Italian spectators. Even okay, though- can, we, can we just be realistic here? I think <laughs> barring, like, okay, you know, call me a Red Bull show. Call me whatever you want. Barring an absolute miracle... For any other team, there's no way Red Bull don't, like, destroy this weekend. Unless they, like, destroy themselves and set up. Or, you know, they have some awful mechanical failure. That main straight, they're going to kill everyone on. Like, if they're behind any car, even without DRS, they're just going to destroy them. It's not even going to be particularly close, I don't think. (laughs) Because they have, like... I think they have like 10 kph over everyone else down the straight. So like, yeah. And when you're on full throttle, 80 percent of the lap, like, what do you think is going to happen? Yeah, I am. Oh, I. I mean, I'm excited for Monza, but man, the prospect of Max just pulling like a 20 second gap and then it being the most bored. I'm just hoping, Justin, that the midfield battle is good. That's all I'll say about this weekend. Um. Yeah, that's kind of it. On in terms of circuit analysis, I don't know. Is there anything you wanted to bring up about Monza circuit design history, anything like that? Um, nothing comes to mind right away, but yeah, I'm thrilled for this circuit. It's definitely mm-hmm. one of the best ones on the calendar, and yeah, I I think you said 2025 is the last contracted year mm-hmm. so far. I would hope that it stays like way beyond that. Yeah. I hope that as long as F1 exists, then Monza is one of the yearly mm-hmm. races. It's yep. always provides some insane entertainment. Like you said, the midfield battles, like those cars are pretty close in performance. I would hope mm-hmm. that we see a lot of stuff down there. I feel like we might even see Alpine pull away from McLaren because one of the things we know uh, McLaren has struggled with this year is their straight line speed. And at a circuit like Bonza, where Alpine is even just like average mm-hmm. in terms of straight line speed, it's it's probably going to kill them, especially when it's these long straights into these slow corners. It's just going to really hurt the McLaren. And I honestly wouldn't even be surprised if we saw both McLarens out of the points this weekend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we obviously know what Daniel Ricciardo's level of performance has been so far this year. I'm hoping Lando Norris can maybe rescue some points, but we shall see when it comes to how that Mercedes-powered car 
um, that orange, that papaya orange car functions. Um, I guess just another good note, we shouldn't really have any issues this weekend. I mean, in terms of like weather, it should be pretty dry all weekend. As far as I'm seeing, I think there might be a little bit of rain on Friday, but I think Saturday qualifying and Sunday's race should all be nice and clear on the weather screen. So expect a nice, bright, sunny autumn race in Northern Italy. I guess just enough, if you don't have anything else, we can move on to our other updates and kind of just see where our conversation takes us as per usual. Oh, of course, go for it. So just as we mentioned, I believe during the I don't know if it was the formation lap, but we definitely talked about it at some point over the past, you know, the Dutch Grand Prix weekend was the Oscar Piastri move finally being confirmed. Um, And so Piastri, Oscar Piastri, for those of you who don't know, will be driving for McLaren in the 2023 season. Daniel Ricciardo's contract has been bought out for a reported sum of roughly, I believe, $21 million. So he is kind of free to decide his future. Um, So this obviously the Piastri move has triggered movement and rumors all around the paddock. You know, Justin, we're hearing, like, I guess, whispers, rumors that Gasly to Alpine to kind of complete this all-French team is looking to be the likely move. How do you feel about Pierre Gasly and Esteban Ocon as a partnership in 2023? I mean, you have it in the notes here, but it is pretty exciting to think about the fact that the French team could have an all-French lineup. Obviously, Alpine has, like, very strong origins in France, and I don't know if there's a very strong F1 scene there. Obviously, we don't really get to... They don't really talk about it that much when we go to Paul Ricard, which is kind of disappointing when we like when we go to Zonvort. Mm-hmm. Like we were talking about the Max fans the whole weekend, and now with Monza, like we're talking about the Tifosi. But Alpine, hopefully, you know, having those two drivers, which first of all, I feel like is a crazy lineup. Ocon has been like the dictionary definition of consistent throughout the year. I bet if we mm-hmm. like looked at the standard deviation of finishing positions, his is probably the lowest. And yeah. Pierre Gasly, again, I said it last week, I'll say it again, he just needs to get out of Red Bull, and Alpine mm-hmm. would be, I think, a really good fit for him at this point in his career, because I don't think he's getting the Mercedes, Lewis will probably end up being there again next year, I, obviously George is going to be there, the McLaren seats are already filled up, the Red Bull seats are already filled up, and I don't see, I the both the Ferrari drivers are still on contract, so he's not going to get his move to a top team, if he ever is going to get it, so... I think it's better that he makes like a lateral move rather than moving down. Yeah, I mean, I think, I guess, I mean, if you'd asked me this last year, maybe I would have said it was a lateral move, but I think based on what this year and the new regs are, I think AlphaTauri to Alpine is almost certainly like an, an upward move, right? Like he's definitely getting an upgrade in terms of car. And I guess like say what you will about Otmar Safnauer and his team management style, but I think Alpine is definitely a good place for Pierre Gasly to go. I mean, I think... Like you said, Justin, he just needs a change of scenery. He needs to get out of that Red Bull kind of camp. He needs to get out of that organization. And I hope it will work. And, you know, speaking of Gasly's departure from AlphaTauri, so that kind of leaves, you know, who's going to partner Yuki Sonoda next year in 2023. And the interesting kind of development, Justin, that I don't know if I want to say it came out of nowhere, but is this IndyCar driver, Colton Herta, um, seems to, per Helmut Marco and Christian Horner, have an agreement with AlphaTauri to drive for them in 2023, pending his super license uh, appeal with the FIA. Obviously, the IndyCar point system and the FIA super license system are not really like one-to-one matching, and I believe that Herda doesn't have enough points for a super license, but they're looking to see that does his performance, you know, kind of dictate or call for an exception when it comes to his um, ability to drive an F1. If I'm not wrong, he's also done F1 testing for McLaren. I believe he did it this year, earlier this year in uh, Portimao with uh, last year, so the 2021, the MCL 35M. 
he did a he did a testing day with them. I think it's a really interesting um I guess uh what's the word prospect. I don't know, Justin, I don't know if you correct me if I'm wrong here. I don't know if there's ever been an IndyCar driver who's made the transition to F1. I know we've had a handful of F1 drivers. I was going to say, normally it's the other way Yeah, around. yeah. I know, obviously, the one that comes to mind right now is Roman Grosjean. I believe also Marcus Erickson is racing in Indy 500 or Indy. Indy like yeah, Indy Daniel Ricciardo is going to be next. <laughs> yeah, um, but I, I think this is a really, really cool development. I mean, I know that there are a lot of like Herda fans when it comes to the American fan base here. Um yeah, absolutely. So I, I think like I'm, it would be like a very cool progression for an IndyCar driver to kind of maybe bring some of that American audience and more American eyes onto F1 as a sport. I think it would be, um, yeah, I think it's just like a good thing all around. I mean, also like a new face in the paddock, you know, rookie drivers are always great to see and how they how they stack up to the rest of the field. Not only that, but I feel like it could even um, bolster IndyCar as a more mm-hmm. impressive race series because obviously that's like, if you're an American fan and you're watching F1, I, I'm guilty of this, but there's no reason you shouldn't be watching IndyCar as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, like the cars are technically faster and it's just obviously not as yeah. prestigious, but it it's uh and the field isn't as competitive as it is in F1. But I personally thought that Logan Sargent was going to be the first American driver in however many years. But mm. if it's Colton Herta, that would be very cool. And I think you'd get a lot of IndyCar fans now becoming F1 fans, which would even further help I guess, I mean, I don't know how much more promotion the sport really needs in America. Drive to Survive kind of did everything that mm-hmm. it needed to, but it would just be cool to have an American drive over here. And I think it would definitely not only uh, get more IndyCar fans into F1, but maybe F1 fans would start looking into IndyCar for other drivers yeah. rather than just F2, especially if Herd it as well. Like if he goes in that car and he just knocks it out of the park, people are going to be like, mm-hmm. okay, this is like, an untapped pool of talent that we've been ignoring for however many years. And, you know, maybe we should take it more seriously when considering new drivers, because a lot of young American drivers don't go on like European tours. They'll just go straight to IndyCar mm-hmm. because obviously like, why would you go overseas when you could stay here? And uh, yeah. I think you can make, you can definitely make money a lot easier in IndyCar than you can open wheel racing exactly. in Europe. Like <laughs> you're not, you're not profitable even in F2, like unless you're an F1 driver, you're not making like money at all. Exactly. So um, it's going to be, interesting to see how this affects like the driver market in the future but yeah i'm thrilled especially if as long as gasly gets the seat at alpine and if we see herda in the alpha Tari, i think him and yuki would definitely be an interesting matchup and i would love to see how it folds out especially with how much yuki mm-hmm. has improved over the past few years i think it would give us like a very good idea as to where colton herda is like where his level of driving is at yeah i believe if i'm not wrong let me just like pull up these statistics so herda is actually only 22 years old so he's actually quite young um oh my god <laughs> compared to like i mean obviously not like 16 year old max verstappen coming to f1 but you know i think 22 is still like decently young i believe he'd be like 30 or not 30 23 at the start of the next season justin he's won he's been in 63 races in five years as an indycar driver he's won seven of them and podiumed in 11 um you know i think that's quite cool like I I mean obviously I don't, I don't know, know how the fe- I don't know how the field of yeah, cars I don't work know, in I don't IndyCar, know if, like, so like I can't make any comments I mean, on it, that. Like just like straight up math, right? That's like he's winning one out of every nine races. Like I, that's pretty good. <laughs> like it has to be. Like no matter how you stack it up, right? Like that has to be like a good metric or like a good amount of race wins. Um, obviously, I'm not the most knowledgeable about IndyCar and its structure and format, so perhaps that is less impressive than I'm making it out to be. But I I don't know. It seems like a good stat. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's definitely not like winning races is good. Like if yeah. you're a race car driver, that's all you got to do. So, you know, if you have wins, it means you beat everyone else. And that, I, yeah, I guess, like you, by <laughs> by deductive reasoning, it means you're a good driver. So if you if you win, I'll, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Or in the most Will Buxton way, if you win, it means the other 19 cars finished behind you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, I love Will Buxtonisms. Yeah. But Justin, that does bring us to the discussion of this last seat. This who knows what the hell is going to happen with Haas. Is it Mick Schumacher's seat to lose? Is it his seat to win back? Is Daniel Ricciardo going to take it and become a Netflix merchant? Is Antonio Giovinazzi going to come out from the top rope? Who knows? Um, jumping a little bit like to another, I guess, update that we have here is that Antonio Giovinazzi actually is driving for Haas during FP1 this weekend at Monza, but... I guess focusing, obviously, just on Daniel Ricciardo, um, say what we will, uh, or uh, given what we have said about him in the past and his perhaps fall from grace in the last 18 months, last season and a half, you know, he is obviously, he w- he is a big name in Formula One, regardless of what we think about him and what he has done for the sport is obviously great through Drive to Survive and just being kind of like this very marketable and genuine personality. What do you think kind of is in the in store for him? I mean, Daniel Ricciardo, I think yesterday or two days ago, he expressed kind of this um, acceptance or interest even in reserve driver roles. He's also been seen on camera and like caught on video saying like he's thinking about taking a year off. Um, I don't know, Justin, personally, if he takes a year off that there's if he any, takes a year off, that's the that's got to yeah. be the end of his career. It's the right? end of like, his Formula what, One career is what I think. I yeah, I think so as well. There's just no way you can come back from it, especially when you've been putting mm-hmm. up like results this bad in the year before your year off. Like you don't take a gap year after you do horrible and then come back and you're going to be a brand new driver. I don't think any team is going to take that risk, especially with the pool of talent that is in, I guess, the younger series right now. And if a team is like truly desperate, then I'm sure they will um, take him up. But then the whole thing is like, He's not going to get the contract he wants. He's not going to be this big name drive. Well, he's still going to be a big name driver, but he's not going to be worth the money that his name is worth right now, if that makes sense. So like, yeah, he, he like says, I, I, I go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, okay. I'll go. I'll go. Okay. Okay. Sounds good. Yeah. I just, I, I completely lost my train of thought. So you can actually go. <laughs> no, I was going to say that um, Daniel Ricardo, like where he is right now kind of strikes me as this like Russell Westbrook, but less toxic personality, right? Like, oh my God, he used to be very good and he won a couple times and now he's just kind of fallen off and had to have a massive contract restructuring or like buyout. Um, and it's just kind of like, where does he go now? Right? Like, I don't know if like, honestly, Justin, we are saying like, a year off or whatever, but like if he's a res- if he becomes a reserve driver and takes that step back, do you think he actually ever gets back to an F one seat, or is he just gonna kind of be that like perpetual bench guy? Because uh, I don't, I, I don't think, know. I don't think that if if he if he doesn't get to drive like be the main driver for a team next year, which is There's at no this point, point, yeah, basically Haas. I don't know that he's ever going to be back driving full time for a team. Yeah, yeah, I don't think so either. It just doesn't like again, like I said earlier, why would a team take the risk on that, especially mm-hmm. when they can take a younger driver who's they're not going to have to pay as much. And it like exactly. he's not and like if Lando Norris was performing very very poorly, I would understand maybe taking a risk on Daniel Ricardo. But we've seen many many times throughout the season, especially in the second half of the season so far, 
that Lando Norris is able to score points very consistently in that car. And he's obviously not fighting for top positions, but he is in the running for points every single weekend. Meanwhile, we always see Daniel Ricciardo in P16, P17, P18, P19. And if you're a team principal, why would you want that in your team? When you know he's not the best driver on his team and it's not even close, like Lando Norris clears him by a mile right now. Mm -hmm. When there's about... A hundred other drivers who I feel like are hungrier for it at this point. They want it a thousand times more than him. And I feel like they'll put way more effort in. Like, have you listened? I don't know if you've listened to his team radios, but he just sounds uninterested. I don't know if it's just him being dejected, him not being interested at all in like his results or just being so disappointed in himself that he can't even like muster an ounce of charisma. But he, he just sounds so uninterested in these radios and, you know, I, I don't know how many more Q1 exits he needs to like really get it through his head that he's right. not good anymore. And like, I I saw an argument online that was like, you, you know how the Red Bull is specifically designed for Max and if mm-hmm. you put other drivers in it, they're not going to drive as well. Like, and that's why sometimes it's hard to find a partner for him. Yeah. People were trying to make the argument that, that that's what happened with Lando Norris and Daniel Ricciardo. And this car was made for Lando Norris, but like, I just don't think that's true. I don't think Lando Norris is like uh, proven enough of a driver to where he deserves to be the focal point of the like car design process. Mm-hmm. I don't think so, especially when Daniel Ricciardo is like coming into the season. Everyone thought he was going to be very, very good. And obviously he had a good year last year. So why would they just like suddenly pivot away from him? So yeah, I, I've seen that argument online and I just wanted to denounce it because I think it's like the dumbest thing I've ever seen. I mean, like, I think we can definitely agree at a bare minimum that like Lando is the preferred driver at McLaren and probably gets a say in more of like car design and, to you know, to whatever extent, obviously. But like, I don't know. It just feels like if you look at the other cars, right? Like take Mercedes, for example, do you think that that car is built for Lewis Hamilton or George Russell specifically? Or do you think that's just a car built to contend like for a WCC at first? Yeah, I think it's just a car built to contend. I don't think any constructor does it besides Red Bull and even Red Bull haven't like explicitly come Mm -hmm. out and said it. But like when you look at the difference between the drivers, it's like it's pretty noticeable that like, I guess it's built for his driving style. So it makes sense that like they would do that. Right. Like, I don't like (laughs) this might be a bit of a reach of like a logic, perhaps. But like, given the shambles of like Ferrari's management, I don't think they're competent enough to like make this F-175 designed specifically for Charles Leclerc. (laughs) And like, I just think that that car is also built to contend. And Charles is just better than Carlos. I don't think that's a stretch of the imagination. And I think a similar thing has happened here at McLaren. We're like, Lando is just better than Daniel Ricciardo right now in their in the respective stages of their career. I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with that, but in a kind of cutthroat win now sport, I mean, I don't think there was really any other direction or option for McLaren besides cutting bait and signing Piastri while they had the chance. Yeah, definitely. Um, are there any more? Sorry, I didn't mean to just like end the conversation no, 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 you're good. there, but yeah, we covered like I, I don't want to like harp on that too long, mm-hmm. and it, it's just a topic we've exhausted so many times. Yeah, <laughs> that that we got it. We got. We're gonna figure out what happens to all these drivers at the mm-hmm. end of the season, and I'm terrified for Mick, and <laughs> I'm curious about Ricardo. So yeah, I, it's just one of those like time will tells, and we can speculate as more stuff comes out, but. As of right now, it's just all all guesswork in games. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Um, I guess the other things we can look at, um, I guess more fun, lighthearted, just in the special Ferrari livery that was announced earlier today, which is Wednesday, September 7th, uh, at the time of recording the, uh, the yellow kind of mix livery that Ferrari launched. I think that the rear wing logo, the Ferrari logo on the back is really cool. I think that Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz are going to look like minions this weekend. And I really hope someone dresses up like Gru. I, other than that, I think this is a pretty lackluster livery. I wish Ferrari would have gone bold with their yellow design for the Monza kind of Modena style and thing that they were trying to honor. But I guess it's like cool in a sense. Like, I don't know. What are your thoughts? I mean, I think that Ferrari should always just commit to like the full red livery when they're in Italy because like that's what everyone in the crowd is going to wear. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad that they didn't go with the full yellow livery as cool as that would have been. And yellow is my favorite color. So I do think like the yellow mm-hmm. accents look really cool. And um, I I forget if we said it in the group chat, but they were like, they should put Charles in like a banana suit yes, or yes, like yes. have his racing, have his racing suit be like banana themed to you know, match that one Twitch stream he did. I think that would be absolutely hilarious. Exactly. But, um, I do think that the the car looks very, very cool. Yeah, I mean, I think it's always fun when we get a special livery. I mean, I'm trying to think, have we gotten other special liveries? I think we got an Alfa Romeo one during Imola, and then I'm trying to cast my mind back. I mean, actually, Justin, I've, I'm have i 99% sure that we might get something for AlphaTauri and Red Bull at Japan, just because it is the... 2022 honda japanese grand prix and obviously like while it is the red bull powertrains unit it is still like a honda engine um so i think we might get a special livery there like we did at turkey last year um i don't know i think it's always cool when we get special liveries though um i i don't know that there's much more to talk about but yeah yeah I, I mean, I, I'm always just a big fan of whenever teams run different liveries. I think mm-hmm. it's like a very cool aspect of the sport that could happen. I really want to see the um, McLaren Golf livery again. Yes. That's my favorite yes, yes, alt yes. livery. I don't know if you have a favorite alt livery. If it's that, I don't blame you. Um, The McLaren Golf car from Monaco last year is quite good. I do like um the white Red Bull from last year. The one that was like oh, a Honda yeah. tribute. Um, Checo and Max had white race suits. They had um like last year the rear wing spoiler or the rear wing logo was Honda all year. And then I think they wrote Honda in um kanji characters uh, during the Turkish Grand Prix as kind of like a send off for Honda. Um, I'm trying to think what other like good liveries there have been in the past. I mean, oh, I mean, this isn't really like a livery thing, kind of just something I preferred or enjoyed. Um, I don't know how closely you were paying attention to it during spa, but, um, the kind of like the, the big circle stickers that Lewis and George had on the sides of their car, like it just made it a lot easier to identify the cars. And I think as like an ease of viewing experience, that was very helpful. So thank you, Mercedes for like... (laughs) I don't know, I guess making watching the races more accessible. Um, otherwise, I don't know that there are any other, like, really cool or special liveries that kind of stick out. I mean, there was that, like, I think it was a, I think it was, like, 2006 or something, when, like, whenever Kimi Raikkonen was driving for um, Lotus, and there was, like, a Dark Knight promo or something, maybe it was, like, 2008, actually, or there was, like, a Dark Knight or like Batman kind of promo livery that they ran one time. I thought that was really cool. There's like always that Red Bull Star Wars livery I thought was cool as well. Um, obviously very historic stuff, but uh, yeah, that's kind of that's kind of where I lie. Yeah, I want to see the Alpine throwback. 
I, like the the bubblegum one. I don't know if you oh, mentioned that one again. Oh, yes. How could that's I like my favorite. Yes. I mean, we just need more colors back in F1. Mm-hmm. I hate that everything is like blue or red. Yeah, blue or red. Yeah, we need like the yellow Renaults and the yes, pink Yes, correct, 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 correct. Yeah. The pink Force India. Yes, yeah. No, I I love the Racing Point pink. I will always like, I will never shut up about how much I love the Racing Point pink. I think it was one of the best colors we've ever seen on the grid. And I'm very sad that it's now just kind of like an accent color on the Alpine. But alas, it is what it is. Um, I don't really know that I have much else to talk about, Justin. I mean, in the other updates, Ferrari apparently using this lower downforce rear wing this weekend. I don't think it's a story, really. They're probably going to get smoked by Red Bull. If somehow they become the fastest car in a straight, like the Williams, I we can talk about it on Sunday. But for right now, I think it's just a non-story, honestly. So I guess yeah, we, probably. Yeah, I think we can just jump into turn one trivia. So would you like to go first or would you like me to go no, first? No, you can go first. Okay. So, Justin, at Monza, the lap record is held by Rubens Barrichello in the Ferrari F2004. Um, obviously, partnered with Rubens Barrichello was this kind of amateur mediocre driver named Michael Schumacher. I don't know if you've heard of him. Mm. Um and this car, the, as the F2004 is considered to be one of the most, um, I guess, prolific and most successful race cars in all of Formula One history. Um, so obviously it won the WDC and WCC that year. So I guess just some like fun facts and trivia about the uh, F2004. And let's see how far you can get on this kind of tree thing. So the F2004, Justin, entered, um, I guess... When did this wait? Why did why are there two things here? Oh, so it technically entered. So it entered eighteen races um, in the year. What is this? Two thousand four, and it is the F two thousand four. Well, they all. they ran it for two races in two thousand five, which I'm just realizing now, which is really weird. But anyway, so it entered. Um, it entered eighteen races in two thousand four. Do you know how many wins it got that year? Um. <sighs> Um, I'll just throw out a guess and say, like, you said 18 entries. Mm-hmm. Was there 14 wins? 15 wins. So very close. 15. Okay, okay. Okay. Do you know how many pole positions it got? Uh, 15 as well. 12. 12. Um, okay. And then I guess the last one is because we started with fastest lap out of the 18 races. Do you know how many fastest laps it set? Uh, so 15 wins. 12 poles. We'll put the fastest lap somewhere in between there. We'll go with 13 fastest laps. Oh, one off. It was 14 fastest laps. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Fuck. I mean, d- screw this game. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it was a very, uh, it was a obviously very well-designed car. Um, not designed by our GOAT, um, Adrian, Adrian Newey. Newey, yeah. It was designed by Ross Braun. Let me just look through some other names. Yeah, there was a little guy named uh, James Allison, who I believe now is the chief technical officer of Mercedes-AMG. So, you know, obviously some great experience built into this car. It was powered by a nice V10 engine. Um, so, yeah, I thought just some fun facts about Ferrari and their success. But on to you. So... Born in Stratford-upon-Avon in the United Kingdom. Shakespeare? Often called... Wow, that was quick. What the hell? Wait, is that... That's not, that's not the question, <laughs> but like... 
I like I was trying to get oh okay well I was yeah I was gonna do a dramatic intro for Shakespeare but you did fucking quiz bowl in high school so you just know where he was born. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> How are I guess I was like the I've only known one person ever born in Stratford upon Avon and it was Shakespeare, but I think I know where this is going. But I'll please continue your question. Oh okay so. He William Shakespeare wrote thirty eight <laughs> plays. Okay, one of his favorite places to write plays was Italy. Obviously, you know Romeo and Juliet, mm-hmm. My Fair Verona. You know, very. You know, I'm a Shakespeare reader. I read it in <laughs> freshman year of high school, and I haven't looked at it since. But how many of those thirty eight plays took place in Italy? Oh Jesus Christ! Um, I know at least two. Um, uh, it is it is higher than two. I'll give you that. <laughs> I I know there's obviously the Merchant of Venice and then Romeo and Juliet, as you mentioned. Um, hmm. I'm gonna say. Wow, I <laughs> this is literally a guess. I'm gonna say like ten. That's actually really close. The answer is thirteen. Oh, okay. thirteen of his thirty-eight plays were set inside of the great country of Italy. I wonder if Shakespeare ever went to Italy, like, and like was a tourist I would assume or something. He, I would assume he did. <laughs> he was like a tourist, and he was like, "I love this place so much. I'm gonna write thirteen. I'm gonna write one third of my works on this place." Um, I. Yeah. I was going to do, like, a Mussolini question, and then I realized, mm. like, that would probably be in poor taste. So I was like, all right, <laughs> let's find a different different one for this week. Yeah, potentially just a better one. But that was a fun question. I guess we can move on to cops, cops slash cope corner now. I went first, Justin, so give me your hot take for, for what this weekend will have. The Ferrari team is going to dramatically underperform in front of their home crowd and not even have a podium finish. Okay, I guess chaining that, who do you think is going to be on the podium then? Both Red Bulls and? I think it will be both Red Bulls and Lewis Hamilton. Okay, do you think he's going to split? Or like, do you think it'll be Verham? I, I think I think, I think think it'll be Ver per Ham. Okay, interesting. Very interesting. Um, I guess what is my Cope Corner? Um, yeah, I think this is going to be a bounce back for Lewis Hamilton. I think the shambles of a strategy disaster class and just you know manipulation by all that is uh, not actually manipulation that was in, that was that was sarcasm but i think he'll bounce back i think he'll have a great race um actually you know speaking of this justin this is something we did not address um can i just say like respectfully like fuck anyone who is like directing hate towards um hannah schmitz i believe is how you pronounce her last name the red bull head yeah hannah, hannah schmitz is actually my goat she is like the yeah. reason red bull wins so many races exactly and there were a lot of people justin who were like she concocted a plan that to like intentionally dnf yuki's car like in that place to like set up a vsc and like she knew about like the technical problem that would cause yuki's dnf while he was in the pits and like there's just like all this conspiracy theory and like obviously like as unfortunate as it is, she's, like, a woman in F1, and we all know how, like, that works, like, and how she would obviously be treated, unfortunately treated, like, by a lot of people on social media because of the fact that she's a woman in F1, and I just think that's really unfortunate. Like, guys, come on. She's obviously, like, very successful and very, very good at what she does. Like, the fact that yeah, she's a like, woman has nothing need, to do with it. If you need anything to, I guess, like, just speak to her level of knowledge, which you shouldn't even need because exactly. her having the position should be enough. But watch, like, the race breakdown. She is... 
like yeah. infinitely smarter at strategy than any one of us like armchair podcast people or exactly. any of your Twitter fingers that you see. Like it, mm-hmm. it's actually ridiculous, like the work that any race strategist does yeah. going into a race and how much they have to prepare for. Like you would be absolutely floored mm-hmm. if you've never seen one of those and you see how like strategy is actually Precisely. concocted. So yeah, it's pretty brutal when like you you get like accused of collusion just because you have very good strategy like that's also how you know you've made it like you are so good at what you do that you people haters, think you're yeah. cheating yeah also I mean, like, that like like people on twitter are also just like extremely reactionary with f1 so yeah like i take everything i see at this point with a grain of salt no that's very fair i mean like it's just it's just weird man like she did she, like if anything she did her job properly like she engineered a strategy and max verstappen won a race that he like maybe wouldn't have otherwise like it is what it is um but to kind of put a pin in that justin we can move on to our pre-race predictions and then kind of wrap up this episode so i we had why stray we had this discussion last week and unfortunately i will be copying you i will be taking max verstappen on pole position and i will be taking max verstappen to win the race i just like it just seems like this is the bet you have to make now right like it is an inevitability yeah. that he will win a race bar some like other crazy bullshit that goes down. We talked about this earlier, Justin, the Monza win to DNF curse. Do you think he will finish the race? Yeah, I mean, especially when you're in the back of the field, you don't see as many like, you know, crashes and uh, you no know, <laughs> bad events happening. So, yeah, I think Daniel Ricardo will beat the Monza curse now. Maybe the Monza curse after this year should be like you just like change it from DNFing the next year to just not scoring any points next year. Because mm. I think he'll finish the race. But do I think he'll finish in the top 10? No. Do I think he'll finish in the top 15? Also, no. Do I think he'll finish <laughs> in the top 20? Yeah, if he's lucky. Okay. Um, I'll just go the other way just to like give some variety. I think the I'm a big like the spice of life. Yeah, variety is the spice of life, but also like supernatural or superstitious person. So I'll just say that Max, or uh, excuse me, Daniel Ricciardo does not finish the race this weekend. Um, What position will Lance Stroll finish in, Justin? If I'm not wrong, I have Lance Stroll's points this weekend. Um, Hedge, hedge, hedge. 10. I'm just going to say P10 because that's where he's finished, I think, twice in the last five races or something like that. Or he's been in P10 a few times this year. So I'm going to say P10 again. Yeah, I'm going to say a nice little P13. I think this race is like where the good teams separate themselves from the middle teams and the middle teams Mm -hmm. separate themselves from the bad teams just on the merit of speed. Mm -hmm. I don't think Aston Martin have a great car, but I also don't think that he has been the worst driver this year. Like Mm -hmm. as as much as you can complain about him being a pay driver, he is pretty good at what he does and he gets pretty consistent results. So, yeah, I'll say P13 Mm -hmm. just outside of the points. You know, it's just a guess for me at that point. Fair enough. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I think Lance has been doing an okay job so far. I mean, I think he's, again, being let down by the Aston Martin in qualifying. I mean, he actually, well, what am I talking about? He actually made it into Q3 last weekend. But for a season trend, like, he's been pretty decent. I think, like, performing to average or par on what, like, you could expect out of this Aston Martin this year. We'll see what happens going forward. I'm hopeful he'll get P10 and I can stack a nice easy 10 points. I can also get some points in our uh, Formula 1-on-1 championship. But other than that, I think, Justin, I am I don't really have anything else to discuss when it comes to this upcoming weekend or the events or stories surrounding it. So unless you do, uh, I think we're good to wrap it up. 
Yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed this episode. Had a lot of fun, especially it's a nice little break in the middle of my week. Sadly, we won't have a formation episode next week because this is the third stop of the triple header. But as always, everyone, thank you for listening. We appreciate it. Please follow us on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram at F1on1pod. And we will see you guys on Sunday for the checkered flag episode of the 2022 Pirelli Italian Grand Prix. Peace. Have a good one, guys.